Maybe today. Come, Lord Jesus, it will be a wonderful moment when we get to see our Savior. Right now we see him through the eyes of faith. Uh, by He said, praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, let's bow. Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have to come together and to worship you and praise you and to, uh, and to uh, come to your word. And Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts so that we would learn and understand what you intended us to know and understand from your word so that we become more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, as we look at this passage, give us great insight so that we would apply your truth rightly and uh, you would be glorified in that. So we thank you so much for this morning and this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look at uh, the church these days, you'll see there are all kinds of different methods and means of worship. Uh, you've got worship bands, you've got worship leaders, you've got worship time, you've got worship, 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 right? Um, it seems like almost synonymously worship is aligned with music. Now, the reality is we're going to see that music is a huge part of our worship. It is. But worship crosses beyond that, and we're going to take a look in the next few weeks, starting today, at what true worship looks like. And we're going to see and gain some principles about how we are to worship corporately together. Uh, would you turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 12? And we are moving through Nehemiah. Um, we're going to be done with this book pretty soon, so be praying where we go next. Be praying for what we'll be studying. Now, if you've been with us, the first six books of this, cha- of this uh, first six chapters of this book focus on the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And you might remember that Nehemiah had received and had been informed by the Jews, his Jewish brothers, that the walls were in shambles and the gates were burned and, and that really that Israel was a reproach because of the state of uh, the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, after mourning and praying, uh, comes to the understanding that God is going to use him to bring about, as we'll see, the rebuilding of the walls and, as we see, the rebuilding of the people. And Nehemiah, after waiting on the Lord, a man who's walking uh, with the Lord, uh, wisely was ready that day when he uh, was inquired by the king of Persia uh, to why he was looking down. And he was ready to share. And God uh, granted his request to go to Jerusalem to build up the walls and to have all the things that he needed to do. And we see from that point on, it was by the hand of his God, his good, God, good God's hand was upon him. And as he made his way to Jerusalem, we began to see the opposition, that they saw it was a great evil that someone would come to help the Jews out. And yet Nehemiah came and he wisely inspected the walls without telling anyone. He knew there were leaks. And so not leaks in the walls, but leaks within the people to the bad guys. And he didn't share anything. And he, he gained understanding of what needed to be done. And then he encouraged the Jews to come and work on the wall together. And he encouraged them because the good hand of his God was upon him. And they agreed to get to work. 
And we saw in chapter 3 an overview of all the people that worked. And you would think, okay, we're done, the wall's built. But then coming into chapters 4 through 6, we see that there is opposition. There is opposition to the good work of God. And that opposition was forming. We see that. And we learned, as we went through these chapters, of Satan's varying tactics and how we are to respond to opposition, to the good work he is doing in us, the good work he is doing in rebuilding us and building us up. Now we know that Nehemiah responded by praying. The first thing we had was those stinging words and that those stinging words to discourage Nehemiah in the building. And he prayed. He prayed and he shared his situation with the Lord and he called upon the Lord to bring just retribution. And from this, the people were encouraged and they kept working. And then we saw in the second half of chapter 4, another one of Satan's tactics, when he tried to uh, discourage and get uh, them to quit the work by outright attacking them, by outright coming at them and intimidation. And indeed, we see that Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Ammonites, the Ashadites, were furious about the wall repairs, and they came and they planned and conspired to fight against Jerusalem. But God protected them. God protected them. Uh, and we saw that they were not to fear the Jews, and but they were to they were to fight and work, and God would fight their battles for them. The Lord was on their side. And then we saw in chapter five as they were working with one uh, trowel in one hand, uh, a sword in the other, uh, trusting the Lord in the battles. We saw that Satan tries to exploit the internal sin, and we saw that the Jews themselves were, were using usury and they were sinning against one another. And so Nehemiah exposed that. He exposed that, and uh, the Lord um, protected them by exposing that. And then we saw that uh, that uh, another one of Satan's tactics that he was desiring to get Nehemiah to fear, and then from that fear to sin, to sin and do the wrong thing, to go hide in the temple. Uh, and that's what that's what Satan tries to do. He tries to get us to get afraid, so that we will step out and sin and then uh, uh, hinder the work that God is doing through us. But Nehemiah responded rightly. Uh, He sought the Lord. The Lord answered him and delivered him, just like David prayed. Uh, The Lord delivered him. And so we had these attacks. And then we came to chapter 6, where we saw an amazing portion of Scripture, uh, where we found ourselves at the completion of the wall in 52 days. And God had brought forth the success. And we see that in that uh, in that spiritual success that actually in the physical success there was actually attacks afterwards that right after they had built the wall there were more attacks there were internal attacks uh, and then uh, we came to the end portion of that where we saw in chapter 7 where Nehemiah appoints leadership and we saw that uh, the city was empty and it was spacious but yet no houses were there basically and Nehemiah took a census, he took a, or he reminded us of that. And we thought at this point, hey, okay, they're going to go ahead and dwell in the city, everything's done. But no, uh, God needed to reveal that these Jews needed their spiritual walls rebuilt also. And that's what we saw. We saw that they uh, came and they called for Ezra and they heard the word of God and they were taught the word of God through the Levites. They were convicted. 
They were convicted and they came to an understanding that God's disciplinary hand was upon them. And the leaders chose because of that, because of their sin and their father's sins, they chose that they were going to walk in the ways of the Lord and obey his word. And the people joined in. And we saw the fruit of repentance where the people identified specific areas where they had failed that they were going to be committed to obeying the Lord in. They were going to make that commitment to obey him. And they did. We saw it in terms of relationship to the unsaved. They were no longer going to give their daughters over to the Canaanites. We saw they were going to trust the Lord in regards to their work. Uh, they were no longer going to, going to try to get money on, on Sabbath days and trade with people in those times and, and use usury and whatever it might be. And we saw that they also had neglected the house of the Lord. And that they were no longer going to do that, that they were going to provide for it. They're going to serve in it. They were going to do what they needed to do. And then lastly, we saw the fruit of repentance, which was they were willing to do whatever God wanted them to do in terms of where they were to live. And there was a, a, a desire, a volunteer, a willingness for the Jews to go to Jerusalem. But they only needed one-tenth of those. And so they drew, drew lots. And the people who went, everyone else, were so thankful. And, and they were praising God for those who volunteered and they were greatly encouraged by that. And then within that, uh, we came, we come to our chapter here where we begin to see the dedication of the wall. This is something you would have thought would have happened right after the wall was finished. But instead, God needed to work on their hearts. He needed to weed out sin. And within this dedication of the wall, within chapter 12, 1 through chapter 13, verse 3, we're going to gain principles about worship. Now, given this is a big event, it's a, it's a big event, but in that we have principles that apply to big events for us, whether it's a Christmas Eve service or Easter service or whatever it might be, or, or a dedication of something to the Lord that is something praise for what he's done, to our regular coming together and worshiping. So we're going to gain principles from this. Now, before we begin, it's important to understand in this verse, the chapter 12, and I've been studying this for weeks, it's been really hard uh, trying to understand what the intent is for this. We have these lists of names. We're going to have the names in the first uh, 20 uh, verses 1 through 26, and we're going to look at that specifically. We're going to ask why they are there, and then we're going to look very closely at 27 through the end, and today we're only going to get to verse 30. But we're going to gain some principles about worship so what I want to do today is we're going to work verse by verse through verses 1 to 26. We're going to get to that. But I want to read the meat of the portion right now in verse 27, okay? So let's go up to verse 27 and let's read from there. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness with hymns of thanksgiving and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the districts, from the district around Jerusalem and from the village, from the villages of the Netophalites and from Beth Gilgal and from the fields in Geba and Azumath. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Now that's where we're going to finish today. Um, but I want to keep reading because it's the whole thing. I want us to see the whole portion here, okay? They also purified the wall. Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs, the first proceeding to the right on top of the wall towards the refuse gate, 
and Hashashiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the sons of the priests with trumpets. And Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mattaniah. Now I'm, I'm hacking up these names, but you, you can read them. Uh, uh, Mattaniah, the son of uh, Micaiah, the son of Zachor, the son of Asaph, and his kinsman Shemaiah, Azarel, Malaliah, uh, Malaliah, uh, Giliah, Maal, Nethanel, Judah, and Haniah, with the musical instruments of David and the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. And at, and at the fountain gate they went directly up to the steps of the city of David by the stairway of the wall above the house of David to the water gate, on the east, the second choir proceeded to the left, while I followed them with half. I'll put my glass on here. When I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of furnaces, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, by the old gate, by the fish gate, the tower of Hanael, the tower of a hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped at the gate of the guard. Now you can tell why this was so hard to study this, right? <laughs> You can tell there's so much, you know, so hopefully we'll understand what the Lord intended. Verse 40, then the two choirs took their stand on the house of God. So did I and half the officials with me. And the priest, Elikim Maaseah, Minimim, Micaiah, Micaiah, Elianiah, Zechariah, Hananiah, with trumpets, and Maasiah, and Shehemiah, and Eliezer, and Uzi, and Jehohanan, uh, Malachi, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with uh, Jezariah, their leader, and on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, because God had given them great joy. Even the women and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar. And on that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes to gather them into the fields of the cities of the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served, for they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification together with the singers and the gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David and his sons and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph in ancient times there were leaders of the singers, songs songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. And so all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave portions due, portions due the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required and set apart and consecrated portions for the Levites and the Levites set apart and consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. Chapter 13, verse 1. And on that day they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. So this is quite a deal here. This is quite a deal with all kinds of things. And we see that we have the priests and Levites who were set apart to bring about the worship of the Lord. The worship of the Lord. And so here it's obvious that this passage is about worship. It's about worship. 
It's about worship. And we gained some principles here. And we're going to see that it was well organized. There were singers, there were choirs, there were instruments, there were servants, there were sacrifices, there were contributions of the first fruits, there were tithes, there were songs of hymns and praise and thanksgiving to God. And the word was read aloud. And this gives us great insight from the Old Testament of how we should come together in the context of our worship of the living God. And so this celebration is none other than a, a grand picture of a wonderful worship service uh, of the living God. Now, I find it really interesting as we go through the book of uh, Nehemiah as we're small and starting this um, work out here on the East Coast that God is helping us understand some basics and what we need to do as a body to understand those things and to have instruction for our and to know about the threats also and the difficulties and where our hearts should be. So then, coming back to our passage, we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 12. And I believe the first thing we're going to see is that worship must be led and it must have skilled servants. It must have skilled servants. Indeed, Nehemiah gives a list of those who previously served and led in worship of the living God up to the current generation. That's what's going on here. We're going to see he gives a list of the leaders of the priests and Levites that were in the first generation that came out of, uh, out of uh, Babylon when Cyrus let them go. And then he moves from that with a list of the high priests that go up to the current time from the first one there. And then he goes to a list of the generation, two generations that move into Nehemiah's time talking about all the leaders of the priests and the Levites. And as we see in our passage, it's the priests and the Levites that were in charge of the worship of God. Okay, so he's talking about that. He's pointing that out. And so chapter 12, verse 1, Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, and Yeshua. Now uh, this Yeshua is really none other than Joshua, uh, the son of Jehozadak. We'll see that later on, Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak. We'll see that. Uh, sometimes the names are, are, are said differently, but in Haggai chapter 1, I'll read this for you, in the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and, go, and the, the governor of Judah, <coughs> and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And so here we have right away these are the priests and Levites that came, this is in 538 B.C., when Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back to rebuild the temple. You could see that in, in, in Ezra and in, Nehemiah and in Haggai. They were allowed to go back. This is the first generation. We see in Haggai they built the foundation, but they stopped. We see that in Ezra too, but they ultimately did finish 16 years later the, the, the temple. Okay, this is the first generation. And so he's giving a list of people who are identified as the leaders of the priests and the leaders of the Levites. He's making a point here. So let's take a look at that. Now these are, notice it, these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, and Joshua. And then he begins with the priests. Now in verse 2, uh, a whole bunch of names again. Okay, here we go. Uh, 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 Sarah, Sariah, uh, Je- Jeremiah, Ezra, and that's a different Ezra, by the way. There was, just like you have, you know, you might know someone named John. Well, there's maybe another John you know also, right? There, there, there's some common names, okay? And that's why often you'll see, you know, someone, the son of someone. It identifies who he is, right? And so here, Ezra, Amariah, Malok, uh, Hatush, uh, Shekaniah, uh, Rehum, Meramuth, Idu, uh, Ginnathoi, uh, Abijah, 
Abaya, Majim, Maadia, Bilgal, Shiamiah, and Jolareb, Jolareb, and Jedediah, Salu, Elmach, Hilkiah, and Jedediah. These were the heads of the priests and their kinsmen in the days of of Jeshua. This is the heads. These are the ones who were the leaders. There were leaders involved, okay? And that's when they're the leaders of the priests. And then notice he talks about the Levites. Verse 8. And the Levites were Yeshua, that's that, that's the high priest that we see, Benui, Cadmiel, uh, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving, and he and his brothers, and Bakbakiah, and Uni and their brothers stood opposite them in their service divisions. This is speaking of the service of worship and the things that they're doing. In charge here, like he says here, in charge of songs of thanksgiving. There was someone in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. What a, what a wonderful job, right? <laughs> you know. And then there were those who stand opposite. There was formed worship. There was, there was order to it. Now, we're a small church, and we don't have you know, hundreds of people, but someday, maybe the Lord might do it. There needs to be order. There needs to be order. There needs to be order within the worship, and there are people assigned to different tasks, as we'll say. You'll assign, and these are the leaders. Now, these, are the Le- these were the Levites. Now, these Levites were this. This is the group of priests and Levites that came first, the first generation, okay? And then, he, and then it says... Uh, and then you look at uh, verse 9 here, um, or verse, uh, make sure I got the right verse here. Yeah, verse 10, we see that he gives now, at this point, after giving the generations that came out of Levite, heads of Levites and, and the priests, he now gives um, the high priests a list of them. And Joshua became the father of Joachim, and Joachim became the father of Elish, of Elish. Eliashib, and Eliashib became the father of Joida, and Joida became the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan became the father of Jadu, Jadua. So here we have a list of the high priests. We have Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and then we have his son, which is, which is um, uh, Joy, Joyakim, okay? And then we have his son, Eliashib, Elish. Eliashib, okay? And so Elisha, we see that he's the high priest during the time of Nehemiah. But right before that, even when Ezra was around, you know, Ezra came 14 years earlier, by the way, we have his father, we have uh, Jehoiakim, we have these three, and they overlap, by the way. Uh, you have high priests that were considered high priests even after they, 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 they retired, in a sense. You know, so you have these priests serving here at this time. And then he gives uh, the sons of of uh, Elishab, and some of those sons had been born. There were some that are saying that maybe this part is addition later on to keep the record, um, that uh, the chroniclers came and, and added this to this, you know, because it's uh, two generations past that. That's certainly possible. But here, the point is, you have the leaders of the Levites, you have the leaders of the priests, and then you have the high priest. And then this transitions us into then those who served as leaders after that first generation which morphs into when Nehemiah is there. And so now we come to, to, chapter, to, to, to chapter 12, verse 12. Now in the days 
of Joya Kim, and I made a list of the dates and times of how long they probably served and stuff, and, you know, if you want that, I can give that to you. Um, but so you've got, you know, over 100 years now or so that's been ha- there. You had one priest probably serving 30 years or so, and then another overlapping, and then another, you know, and, and so you can see that uh, now in the days of Joya Kim, the priests, the heads of the father's households were, again, a list. Here are the leaders. This is in the next, this is during the next high priest. These were the leaders, right? Now here I go, another list of names here. Uh, Mariah, Mira, Aya, and Jer, I'm gonna put my glasses on for these names here. And Jeremiah, and Hananiah, of, 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 of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, uh, Johanan, of Maluchi, that sounds like an Italian name, doesn't it? Right, um, Jonathan of Shebaniah, Joseph of Harim, Adna of Meraoth, Hel- Hel- Helkai of Idu, Zechariah of Ginnathon, Meshulam of Abiah, Zikri of Mini Mini Amen, Mini Amen, right? <laughs> Mini Amen of uh, of uh, Minyanim, of Modiah, Piltai, of Bilgah, Shamuah, of Shemiah, Jehoanathan, of Joyorib, Mataniah, of Jediah, Uzziah, and I'm I'm hacking these names up, but you can see it, of Salai and Kali, Salai, Kali, of Amok, Eber, of Hilkiah, of, and then, Hash Abiah of, of, now, you know, we know, um, I was going to say something, but never mind, <laughs> about names and baby names, so I'll tell you that later. All right. But uh, uh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, as for the Levites, now look at this, that was the priests, right? The heads of the priests, the fathers. 22, as for the Levites, the heads of the fathers' households were registered in the days of Elisha. Praise the Lord, they're registered, so we don't have to have their names, right? All right. <laughs> Okay, that's what he's saying, basically. They're already written down, okay? Registered in the days of Jehoiada and Jehanan and Jadu. So were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. The sons of Levi, the heads of the father's households, were registered in the book of Chronicles up to the days of Jehanan, the son of Elishib. And the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers opposite them, to praise, notice this again, little things put in here, to praise and give thanks as prescribed by David, the man of God. Uh, division, corresponding division. Mataniah and Bakbukbukaya, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talam, and Akub were gatekeepers keeping watch at the storehouses of the gates. Okay, now you know why it took so long to get to this passage, right? There's all kinds of interesting things here, but we need to ask the question, what's really going on here? Well, again, we have these heads of the priests, and then we have the heads of the Levites. Now, this is moving up into the generation at the time of Nehemiah. And I think part of the point is we're going to see here is that the Lord had order back when they came, and he had order then, and it moves to that. But this was about the worship of the living God. Notice what he says here. He says, uh, they were brothers opposite them to praise. This is uh, verse 24 in the middle. To praise and give thanks as prescribed by David, the man of God. The man of God according to each 
according to man of God, division corresponding to division. This is order. There's stuff going on here. There's order. Okay? And so we know that we have the reference to these Levites in the line who were prescribed by David, the man of God. David was uh, the second king of Israel after Saul, right? Israel wanted a king. God gave him what they wanted. He gave him Saul. And then Saul, uh, uh, the Lord took him out, right? And David, uh, he took him from the sheep field and brought him in. And so we have David. David was a man we know uh, was a man after God's own heart, but yet he failed greatly. But yet he was a man who confessed and repented, and he was forgiven. He suffered consequences, but he was a man who would do the Lord's will. You see, we're going to fail. We're not telling you it's okay to fail like David. David would, t- would tell you that, I believe. He would say, don't do what I did. Um, there was consequences. But if you're after the Lord's heart, if you want to do his will, yes, we fail. We confess. We're, we're about his business, and David is an example of that. Acts chapter 13, 22, and after he had removed him, that's God removing Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he has testified also and said, this is God testifying of David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Now, part of David doing God's will was setting up this worship, was setting up the worship of the living God. Now, the temple hadn't been built yet. They had the tabernacle. Solomon would build the temple. David had, had bloody hands. God wouldn't let him build the temple. Solomon built it. But there was worship. There was prescribed worship, as we see in the Old Testament. And so here, David the king had, pre- had, had prescribed division by division of those who were to praise and give thanks. There was an ordering. You all are going to praise and give thanks here. You're going to praise and give thanks here. There was order, and it had to do with singing and praising him. Now, this speaks of worship, and this may indeed be a reference to 1 Chronicles 25. And so let's turn to 1 Chronicles 25 for a minute. 1 Chronicles 25. 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1. Moreover, David and the commanders of the army set apart for the service some of the sons of Asap and of Heman and of Jeduthun, who were to prophesy with, and that's just to speak forth. It wasn't, I don't think they were prophesying with their instruments. It was just springing forth, as we're going to say. They prophesy with lyres, harps, cymbals, and the number of those who performed their service was, and then they give some names of the sons of Asap, and Zachor, Joseph, uh, Nethaniah, and Ashariah. And the sons of Asap were under the direction of Asap, who prophesied under the direction of the king of Jeduthun, uh, the sons of Jeduthun, uh, Gedeal, Jerry, uh, Jes- Jeshiah, Shemaiah, Hashabiah, and Mathaniah, six, uh, six under the direction of their father, Jeduthun, with harp, who prophesied in the giving thanks, praising the Lord. Why did I read all that? There were people designated, very specific people designated, to do certain things, to, to do it musically, as we see here, to bring forth uh, uh, this praise of the Lord. And so then it speaks of praising and giving thanks in the context of songs. And there were leaders. And then back in our passage, chapter 12, uh, we come to a summary of the service. Now you have the, the, the Levites and the priests, the heads, and you have the high priest. From the, from the, and you have the first generation to the, the, the last generation there. And then you come to verse 20, um, 26. These served in the days of, of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, there you go, that shows that that is the Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, by the way, 
in the days and in the days of Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and scribes. Talking about the names that just they mentioned, morphed into the newest names. And these served in the time of the high priest before uh, uh, before Elishab, Elish, Elishab, and in Elishab's time. That's really that current time, okay? That really summarizes what happened. And notice what he says. These did what? They served. They served. They served. And these were serving in the context, as we'll see, of worship of the living God, and more so in the context of music and song and praise and praise, okay? This is helpful for us. This is helpful for us. So at this point, we need to ask, why the list? Why 26 verses? You know, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, right? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, having been equipped for every good work. There's a reason for this. God just doesn't put this in there for no reason. It's in there. We need to ask that question. So many teachers, I, 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 didn't, I couldn't really find one that actually taught on this part here. They just skip it and go to the part that is the, the wall part and that part. Now, the reality is this is here for a reason. And that's why it's so difficult, right? Why? Now, as I've gone through this, I think it's important uh, that God is making it clear that he has appointed leaders. And he has his men appointing leaders. And these are leaders in the worship of him, and there are servants, those who serve in the worship of him. He had a very specific order in what he did, and David refined that and brought that forth. And so how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? Well, in the New Testament, we have those who stand before and lead, okay? We have the term rule uh, translated in Scripture. It's, it's pro-istomy, pro-in-front-istomy stand. There are those who lead. Now, we're going to see that it is elders who lead, but there are also those who have a gift of leadership. There's those who have a gift of leadership. Let me read some passages here. So we know from Romans chapter 12, verse 8, and you can jot these down and certainly try to stay up with me, but if not, that's okay. Jot them down. Romans chapter 12, verse 8, he exhorts with exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who stands before. Now think about it. Someone leading is standing before and leading, directing the people, right? That sense. Now we know the primary leading is leading the sheep to follow and trust and obey Jesus Christ. That is the primary leading and protecting them. We know that. Hebrews chapter 13 I'll read this, verse 7. Remember those who led you, or literally stood before you, and who spoke the word of God to you. They led by sharing the word of God to you. They shared the word of God, right? Uh, we know the same word is translated in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, Let the elders who rule well. It's the same word, stand before you. They stand before you. It's just translated rule at that point. Be worthy of a double honor. They're standing before you. They're, they're, they have charge of you in a sense, right? They're leading you, right? We know from First Corinthians or First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve, we have this same word translated a different way. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge of you, or literally stand before you. But they stand before you in the sense they have charge over you. Then we have it even translated differently in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in regarding the qualifications for elders. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4. He must be one who manages, that's actually the word, stands before. So one who stands before his family is one who's managing his family. 
he stands before them. He is the one in charge in a sense, right? He who manages us here, he who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to stand before or manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So you have this sense of order and leading, right? And certainly it has to do with uh, the shepherds leading the flock to trust and obey Jesus and protecting the flock. But there are other duties that, that people do. There's also the gift as we see of leadership. There are those who will have that gift. Others may even appoint to lead in certain areas, to lead certain things and to have leaders. Now, the interesting thing is we're a small church. We don't have a lot of people, right? Now, the, certainly there were a lot of Jews at this time. There were many, many Jews, Right. And so as God brings forth people, I believe he'll bring about those people as they are needed to lead. And so we want to learn these principles. We can't assume God's going to increase this church here, but we need to prepare and know biblically what we're to do as the Lord does, right? So I think he's making a point that there are leaders, there are those who stand before, and we need to do the same thing. There needs to be leadership for us. You see, because we come together and we worship the Lord. We congregate together. And there needs to be leadership in that. And certainly it's under the elders, right? Certainly initially. But the reality is we are to be assembling together. We're to assemble together. We've got some Old Testament passages I'll share and some New Testament passages. There should be the assembling of the body of Christ to praise and worship the Lord. And within that, we're going to see it not only includes praise and worship, it includes offerings, It includes sacrifices that point to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes tithes in that. It also includes the word of God coming forth. And so we want to structure and understand our services in light of what God's word says. And this is great instruction for us and great reminders for us. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and this has to do with the assembling or coming in. I'm going to read this, chapter 5, verse 1. Guard yourself, guard your steps as you go to the house of God to draw near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they're doing. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. There's some there's some instruction there, right? Guard your steps. That's speaking of those who are coming at that point to assemble at the house of God. Psalm 22, verse 22, I will tell of thy name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise thy name. They're assembled and praising, Right? Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. They're assembling together to worship the Lord, to praise him, right? Uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 12. It speaks of the guy who didn't listen. He didn't listen. He didn't listen to uh, instruction. And he failed and failed greatly. And he talks about how he was in utter ruin. And he was in utter ruin in the midst of of the assembly realized it right he didn't listen to my teachers we see that in proverbs chapter 5 i'll read that for you and you say how and you'll say how i've hated instruction how i spurned reproof and i did not listen to the voice of my teachers nor incline my ear to my instructors i was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation right believers come together and he hadn't blown it right we saw back in nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2 that Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and women, and of all who could listen with understanding. They assembled together. Uh, Psalm 35, verse 18, I will give thanks to thee in the great congregation, 
and I will praise thee among the mighty throng. We have these passages. We have these passages. Um, Psalm 40, verse 9. I have proclaimed glad tidings of the righteous in thy great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hidden thy righteousness within my within my heart. I have spoken of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from thy great congregation. That gives us in a backwards way what happens. We're sharing of his loving kindness. We're sharing of his truth. We're praising him in the midst together. It's together. Psalm 107, I mentioned this earlier in the service. Let them give thanks to the Lord, verse 31, for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the seat of the elders. And then one last Old Testament passage. Praise the Lord, Psalm 149. Sing to the Lord a new song and praise him in the congregation, you godly ones. Praise as we come together. Praise of our Lord. And then think about Hebrews chapter 10. We see that we're not to forsake our assembling together. We assemble the same way. We have so much instruction from the Old Testament that helps us understand how we assemble in the New Testament and how they praised and worshiped the Lord together. And there's assembly. And it's interesting. The Lord Jesus uh, quoted in Hebrews chapter 2 concerning his be taking on human flesh for us, becoming like us. He shares that he's going to praise with us in the assembly. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For he who both sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from, from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing thy praise, and again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. I'll sing in the congregation, proclaim thy praise. That's what we're to do together. But there is an order to it. It's not some free-for-all, as we're going to see, that happens on Sunday. That we just go out and wing it and do whatever we want. There is order and there is skill involved. And there are those who are, who are gifted to lead and to bring forth those who are skilled to praise and to lead in praise. And we need to remember that as we grow and as we plan for what we do as a church. It's interesting, you know, we think about the plans we have for our Christmas and Easter services. We plan those out. We have different things we do and we practice that and we go to that and we we, we go over and over again. Those are things. We need to remember those things. We need to remember how we prepare and get ready for the worship of the living God. So then, it's my view that he's pointing out those who are in charge and those who are gifted to lead uh, leads singing and praise in the congregation to worship. And that's going to move and bring us into the section where they begin this great consecration of the walls, where they're praising God for what he has done. So the first principle in corporate worship, I believe, is the Lord has ordained that there are those who lead and praise and worship of him, and those who stand before and lead those, and those who have duties in the worship and praise of the Lord. Now, I've got so many passages, but if you go to First Chronicles 25, you, 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 you don't need to go there right now, but read through that. You'll see all kinds of people appointed and skilled in all these different jobs to, into the worship of God. There's all these things happening. We need to remember that, and they're all, they're all led. Uh, they performed, uh, uh, in, that, in that chapter, they performed their service, verse 1. Uh, they were skillful, uh, verse 7. 
You know, they were skillful and performed service. Now, it doesn't mean we come and do it in our own wisdom and strength. We don't hire the, the Metropolitan Opera to come over to and sing Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, the reality is this is believers. But God is going to gift and skill different people in different ways to lead and to, to bring the congregation about in worship of the living God. Worship of the living God. Obviously, not everyone's going to be doing that, right? There's this bringing forth of this praise for everyone to join in and praise the Lord. We also see in, uh, and I told you First First Chronicles 25, read through that, and then First Chronicles 26, read through that. You see all the serving capacities uh, through those chapters. Uh, for example, chapter 26, verse 20, and there were those who were assigned over charge over the treasuries of the house of God and dedicated to the gifts. There's different people assigned to different things in this worship service, and they're all being led and organized, right? Okay? So that's the first point. Well, secondly, which really falls on the heels of this, the worship needs to be planned. It really is falling on the heels of this. Now we get into this dedication portion. Back to Nehemiah chapter 12, and let's look at verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving and with songs, to, uh, to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the districts, from the district around Jerusalem, and from the villages of the Netophalites, and from 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 Beth Gelgal, and from the fields in Geba and Azamath. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. So here we see the first thing, they're having a dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Now what's a dedication? The term dedication could be translated consecration. It is a visible giving over of something to the Lord. It's giving it over to him. You are saying, this is of you. We are setting this apart to you. You know, you hear of a child dedication. The, the heart in that is, you know, the heart is, we are giving our child over to you, Lord Jesus. And we want him to be following you or her to be following you. We're dedicating our lives to obeying you and raising him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And those things, that's a dedication. And so here they're dedicating the walls. And in that dedication, there's a great celebration and praise to the God who completed the wall through all the obstacles, who changed their hearts. And again, we'll see that they needed to have changed hearts before they got to this point. If you got sin in your life, worship is a zero, okay? You need to be purist, we'll see. So then we have the dedication. It's a setting apart for God, setting apart for God. And so here they sought out, they're planning, they sought them out. They sought out the people who were skilled to do these things. This comes right on the heels of the list of all these people, right? And now we say here, we see that they sought them out. The Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness uh, and hymns and thanksgiving with songs of a, and a, to the company of cymbals, harps, and lyres. These Levites, as we'll see, had special skills in music and song. Special skills. God gifts people in music. God gifts people with voices. And he wants those who are gifted to use that for his glory. He wants you to use it. He wants you to serve him in that. He wants you to serve with those gifts. Not everybody has a beautiful voice. That's okay. Um, but we all sing to the Lord. Not everybody can play instruments, but those who can, God wants to use that for his glory. And there are those who organize it, and they sought them out to do that. They sought them out 
to do that. They were those who, first of all, in this delicate, might celebrate with what? With gladness. There's a prerequisite. There should be joy. There should be joy for what God has done. There should be joy for what he's done. That's a key. It's not just coming and playing the piano or, or playing an instrument. and It's not just coming and leading and singing and, ah, okay, I'm done. There should be a joy in your heart for what God has done for you. We're going to see that in a little bit. There should be great joy, and that should come out in song. And then there are those who lead and have these skills. We are to enter his courts with thanksgiving and his, his courts with praise, right? We should come with gladness, right? Uh, the core of our worship is thankfulness and gladness. And they're to lead in thankfulness and praise. In thankfulness and praise of the Lord. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, because we are now his people and the sheep of his pasture, we're to enter his courts with thanksgiving. We're to enter his, 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 his presence with thanksgiving and courts with praise, right? Gladness. They, didn't, they weren't just coming to do their musical deal. It wasn't call the Levites. Uh, we got a gig this Sunday at 10 a.m. That's not what they're saying. They were coming to celebrate and praise the Lord with gladness. With gladness. It's not, when you play an instrument to the Lord, it is not uh, something that is normal. It is not worldly or earthly. It is uh, otherworldly. It is to the Lord. It is, it is his skills and talents as you serve by his strength uh, to glorify him that the congregation would praise. So then, with hymns of thanksgiving, with songs, and accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Those are instruments, right? Okay, so this dedication is planned. They're saying, get the people we need to do this, right? They didn't just say, assemble, and they all assembled. And then they said, okay, Levites, come over here, let's sing. No, they got the people specifically who were going to sing. That's what we see here. And remember, the last 25 verses, 26 verses, are all about those who were specially ordered by God to lead in this worship, right? We have Levites and the priests who are doing this. Now we know it should be done. Our worship should be done in a proper manner, right? And orderly, okay? We know from the book of 1 Corinthians that the Corinthians were out of order. And Paul is addressing that, and he's addressing their assembling together. And he says to them, but let all things be done properly and in a orderly manner. Now to have an orderly manner, you need to have thought beforehand and planning involved, you don't just wing it. You don't just swing it. There needs to be a plan on how things are done, right? And we need to remember that as we as we come together, whether it's just our regular worship time with what we have or whether it's a, a, a special time of celebration or dedication or, or Easter service or Christmas Eve or whatever it might be. There is order and there is thought and there is planning involved. Now, again, I mentioned this. We're a small church, and we don't have all the servants that I would like to. I, I mean, I'd love to have a wonderful choir of, you know, 300 people who love the Lord and are serving with gladness and singing unto him and, and a huge, wonderful group of instruments and praise that, that people are doing it for his glory. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, but with that in mind, don't despise the day of the small things. But we need to prepare for what the Lord has for us. We need to understand it. We need to understand how it should be done, right? Okay. So that they might celebrate with dedication, with gladness. And notice uh, they go to get these things, and guess what? They don't say, well, I'm a little too busy this weekend. I'm working on my house. I've got uh, other things i got to do. Um, no, they come. They come and they do it. Look at verse 28 here. So the sons of the singers were assembled. Notice how they're called the singers now, right? The sons of the singers 
were assembled from the district around district around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nadophalites and Beth Gilgal. It's not Gilgal, it's Beth Gilgal, by the way. It's near Mordor, Jerusalem. And from the fields of Geba and Azamayath, for the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. They were ready for serving, right? They had their villages. They built their places. They know where they're going. They're ready to do their service for the Lord, right? They were assembled. It means they came. There was organization and planning, and they came. And they came, and they did so. Now, one other point I want to share here is that as singers are sought, they must be those who know the Lord. I mentioned this earlier. Must be those who know the Lord. Musicians in this part of our worship must be those who trust the Lord, rely on the Lord. You know, if we turn to John 4, and we have a, a passage in the New Testament in which Jesus reveals the type of worshipers that uh, the Lord desires, the Father desires to be his worshipers. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You know the story of the woman at the well. But this woman is is uh, just been confronted uh, that, uh, you know, Jesus says, go get your husband. And, and so I don't have a husband. Well, yeah, that's because you really got five husbands, basically, right? You know, he's confronting her sin. He's exposing it. And now she begins to kind of divert things. And from this diversion, we gain instruction on true worship, on true worship. John 4, 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe in me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we do, which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, there's different versions, there's different translations. Some put a big S on there, some put a small S. Uh, the reality is, I think it's really the big S. I think it's in the sphere of the Spirit. This term N in Greek means the sphere. God desires his worship to worship in the sphere of the Spirit and in the sphere of truth. It, you can't worship him apart from that. We know from Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, hey, there's the bad guys, watch out for them. But we're the good guys. And he describes what true believers look like. Philippians 3, he says, uh, For we are the true circumcision, 3.3, who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. That should center the bottom line of our worship. It's the Spirit of God, which means I need to be Spirit-led, by the way. I need to allow the Spirit to be leading me. I need to be confessing sin. A Spirit of God, we glory in Christ Jesus. He is the one who's being exalted. And we put no confidence in the flesh. And sadly, there's a lot of worship out there these days that is all flesh and all falsehood rather than spirit and truth. The reality is it's not about us. It's not about a good time. It's not about a rock band that we love and love the songs. It's all about whatever you think about Jesus. It's about him being exalted. And it's by the spirit and the sphere of the spirit. And it's in the context of truth. Now, if you've never come before him in the spirit where you've relied, the spirit of God has illumined your heart because you have your relationship with him, you're yielded to him, there's a joy, there's a peace, uh, there's a, and the truth of God, then maybe you don't know the Lord. You know, if it's all been fleshy, fleshy and uh, falsehood, you know, examine yourself. But we need to have this as our foundation as we see in the New Testament, in the New Testament. 
So then we worship in the spirit of God, not in the flesh. So yes, we're going to be talking about organization and instruments and singers and this and that, but it's not in the flesh. It's not in the flesh. It's in the spirit of God. It's in the truth of God. And that leads me to the last thing we're going to look at today, which is the servants, people, and place are to be pure. You can't worship the Lord if you're not pure. And we're going to talk about that. Notice in verse 30, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves. Remember, it's about the priests and Levites, remember? The whole first 26 verses, all about them and the, their leaders, right? And they're the ones serving in worship. They're the ones that are leading in worship, right? Priests and Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So what does this mean? In purification, well, this would be symbolic, we see in the Old Testament that a priest would symbolically purify things with water. Think about it. If something's dirty, you wash it with water, right? It's symbolic. There was a purification with water, Numbers 31. And this symbolic purification always pointed to the real thing. We even see that in the Old Testament. Turn to Numbers chapter 8, verse 21. We even see that in the Old Testament. It pointed to the real thing, cleansing through a sacrifice, which would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Numbers chapter 8, 21. The Levites, too, purified themselves from sin. You say, how can they do that? And washed their clothes. Okay, that's this, this outward symbolic purification, right? But it's pointing to the reality of needing to be purified from sin. And Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Aaron also made atonement for them to cleanse them. Those sacrifices pointed to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. This purification would be symbolic, but it points to the one who would purify us through the forgiveness of sins. We will be cleansed by his blood. And you need to be purified. If you are serving in worship and leading worship, whatever it might be, you're singing, you're playing an instrument, you're involved in that, especially if you come to church, obviously, to worship, you need to be pure before the Lord. And that first, first purification comes in the context of salvation in Jesus Christ. We know from Titus chapter 2 that the blessed hope, who is Jesus Christ our Savior, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. We know in chapter 3 of Titus that when the kindness of God our Savior came and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds done in the righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Spirit. By God, when, through his salvation, Jesus Christ, his spirit washed us. We were cleansed of our sins. We were born again. We were renewed. We were born again. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that believers were washed. They were sanctified. We were cleansed of our sins when we came to Jesus Christ. We know in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, based on the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that our hearts have been, and he uses Jewish language, sprinkled clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We've been cleansed of our sins. We've been cleansed of our sins. So you need to be in Christ. You need to worship in the spirit and the truth. And you need to be cleansed. You can't come. And now the thing is, we believers, we walk in this world and we get our feet dirty, Right? We get dirty with sin. We fail. We, we, we make mistakes. Uh, we sin. But we should never allow that sin to continue. We should be confessing sin. You know, the reality is we should come here with sp sinless in the moment. 
if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansed. You've got to be pure. The first thing they did before they even have this dedication is they purified everything. They purified themselves, and they purified what they were coming into. It's symbolic. It's symbolic. The reality is, it's only through Christ. Now, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, it says, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, and I am pure from sin? Well, no one can say that, because we don't cleanse our hearts. Jesus cleanses our hearts. You see? And so, if you are serving in worship in any way, shape, or form, you're coming to church to worship the Lord, you need to have a pure heart. And that happens through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Yes, we're clean in Jesus, but we get dirty with sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then, folks, we need to be pure. We need to be pure, and we see that. So then, if you come here and you got sin, and you're trying to play piano, or you're trying to sing, or you're trying to lead, or you're playing an instrument, or whatever it might be, you know, even run the service of the audio or whatever it might be, or and you got sin in your life, it's it's a no go. It's a no go. You need to be pure. You need to be cleansed of your sin. First of all, through faith in Jesus. Secondly, by confessing ongoing sin. It's so important. You know, you've got problems in worship when you've got people that aren't confessing sin, or certainly not believers, right? You got big problems. But if we're uh, allowing the Spirit of God to direct us and lead us, then we're all going to be on the same page. We're all going to be on the same page. I mentioned, I read this passage earlier in Zephaniah during our, our, um, during our, uh, our uh, offertory time, but let's turn there to Zephaniah chapter 3, and we see that after uh, judgment, the Lord cleanses his people, that they would have pure lips to worship him, right? To worship him. Zephaniah 3, verse 9. And this is after, for those of you who haven't heard it, you will hear it on the, on the, on the, on the recording. Uh, this is after the Lord uh, brings forth judgment on the nations and he, he purges out sin in Israel. And they actually, and after that, they come to faith. This is what happens. For then I will give to the people's purified lips. Isn't that great? You know, when we came to faith in Jesus, we got purified lips. We can sing praises to him, right? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, notice that, my dispersed ones will bring my offerings. In that day you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst to your, your midst your proud, exalting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will leave among you a humble, lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord." May we do that. May we be those who sing with purified lips. So how then are we to corporately worship? Well, we've seen through the preparation of this time of the celebration and uh, consecration of the wall that, first of all, there need to be leaders and skilled servants that God has ordained. There needs to be that to lead in the worship and singing and praise and thanksgiving of the Lord. And those who are there need to come with gladness and serve with gladness and joy and praise. And we need to be, all of us, in the context of a planned time, we need to be pure. We need to be pure. So let's pray. 
Father, thank you for these truths, Lord, and help us to not forget as we continue to plan our worship each week, as we serve you, as there's those of us who do serve and worship, Lord, that we would remember these things and that every one of us would, would worship you in spirit and in truth and that we would worship you with purified lips. We know in Jesus we're pure, but yet we get dirty with sin, Lord. Remind us that we need to confess our sins and we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for him, and he is the reason why we praise you. We praise you for Jesus, your son, and we exalt him for who he is and what he has done for us, Lord God. We thank you so much and praise you in his precious name. Amen.